let's see this is this is how we first heard of alexia yeah. after this but i don't give a fuck i'm gonna say what the fuck needs to be said and what people don't want are really thinking but don't want to say fuck covid we're fucking over it if you're a scary ass bitch and you want to fucking wear your mask wear your mask bitch i have a right to breathe in motherfucking peace if you're one of those motherfuckers that think you're gonna catch it keep your motherfucking dumb ass in the house okay that is on you if you want to get vaccinated bitch get vaccinated that is not on us to get vaccinated leave us the fuck alone aids is real diabetes is real cancer is real all these shits is real car accidents strokes heart attacks all types of shit accidental death we're gonna, we're gonna die, die. <laughs> our government doesn't get the right to dictate how the fuck we live in a pandemic you don't either bitch because this is motherfucking america i am free i have a right to breathe how the fuck i want to breathe so for those who don't understand yes. fuck you a fuck coat yes <laughs> oh my goodness oh my God. i love that we had it on the website and but man alexia welcome to the show yeah. seriously thank you so much if everyone wants to see what we're laughing at right now be sure to go to our website and see the totally uncut version of this episode because youtube will take it down and they have before yes. but also like subscribe comment all that stuff it really helps us a lot guys so and we're trying to remember to remind you in the beginning but yeah and you can find alexia on instagram as saved mm -hmm. from myself with two x's at the end awesome yeah yeah so that video we just played which we're again going to cut out of the youtube version so guys everyone watching it go to the website um that was how i had first heard about you and i guess it was how a lot of people did because when that video yeah. came out and i first shared it uh, my caption was first of all this is my spirit animal because <laughs> <laughs> man i was just like yeah exactly i'm like this is how it has to be said and i know there's a lot of people out there and they're they're thinking these things but they don't want to say it they're too afraid and i'm like yes speak it say it so yes. i shared it and you know i went to your page i followed you but, you know, I kept going back and I watched your follower account just like go up and up and up. And yes, it really did. I'm so happy because it not only did I think it was great that you were getting, you know, this newfound attention, but I it was like validating and showing a lot of people who were resonating with this message. And so yes. I have to say it, man. So, Alexia, thank you for saying it. Yes, thank you for having me on the show. Um, and I, I just felt like it had to be said. I was like leading up to the video, you know, I was being, I was being cautious of others and making others feel protected and wearing my mask, you know, and most times, like if I didn't see people around me that just were like, oh my God, put on your mask, like I would go without it. Well, what led me up to making this video is that um, I went into Starbucks and I was in a rush and I forgot my mask and the Starbucks was in a Target. So I went through Target, the mandates were gone. And he was like, do you want a mask? I was like, no, I'm good. You know, I forgot it, you know, not big deal. I'm not going to use yours because yeah, really I don't like to wear them. So whatever. To clarify though, you're in Alabama, just for those watching. Yes, I am in Alabama. So the mandate and had just been lifted? It had literally, like it was a couple days before it was about to be lifted. Okay. Um, and I think that people were saying, well, it may not be, you know, lifted. They may, you know, make it longer. We weren't really sure, but I was at the point where I didn't really care. Like I was at the point where for me, it's, it's over okay. with. So I'm done making other people feel comfortable. And on this particular day, I went into Starbucks and I used to go to Starbucks all the time. Like 
that's that's my go-to used to be my go-to place and I go in there and I'm ordering my coffee and I pay my money and the barista behind not the cashier the barista who started um who looked back and saw it was a mirror my mask my mask was like you need to put on your mask and I was like I'm not putting on my mask I um I really forgot it but you already have my money. Just make the coffee. Like I'm not about to go through all this. Just like, dude, just make the coffee and let's go. And she refused to make my coffee after I had already paid. So for me, it was literally like a back and forth thing. And I was like, look, at this point, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but the customer's always right. Like this could have been over with and done with. Now, if you really feel so unsafe because I'm not wearing a mask, this is just ridiculous. And you're not going to tell me that you're not, you're not going to serve me when I'm literally just breathing something I am born to do. Like, and like you said, the mandate was just ridiculous. The mandates were lifted too. And yes, you know, not to say anything about the legality of that. Cause that's a whole nother thing. But the point is like, it had already been like the clear was given, like, you don't have to, it's not enforced anymore. So it's like, who, who the hell are you? These freaking mask COVID police and shit. It's like, come on, bitch. Yes. And she literally like argued me down. And when I stood my ground and the cashier realized like she's not leaving without her coffee, she's not going to go get a mask. The cashier ended up just making the coffee. But after that, it was just for me, like, we're going to police each other over something that as simple as breathing, like, are we really going to do this to each other? Like, are we really going to not serve somebody because we agree or disagree, you know, with their beliefs or the fact that they don't want to wear a mask. So I literally was just fed up and I had had it. And I was like, I'm not trying to be insensitive to those, you know, who have lost people to COVID. I'm not trying to even be insensitive to COVID, but the reality of the situation is that the flu exists, you know, pneumonia exists, you know, like bronchitis exists and you do not see us walking around in fear of those things, but because the government and the media has made a all out, just, you're going to die. Like if you get this and, and has literally scared people to death, I was just like, I'm not having it. And I know other people have to be feeling this way. So I'm going to, if, if I'll be hated for it, I'll be hated for it, but I'm going to say it because you need to know next time you see me, I will know like not be wearing a mask. And it's not even up for debate in this more like F you and F your mask. Yes. Next. Yeah. You next. I love it. No, seriously, <laughs> man. It, it, uh, it struck me. It like hit a chord with me. I was <clears throat> like, I got very excited when I saw it. And Brett and I, we, you know, we told you earlier, we're, you know, we're from New York, New Jersey, and the lockdowns were a pretty heavy thing there. And the mask mm-hmm. thing, people are really nuts with it in that area yeah. it's a very blue like liberal area a lot of the people got fed up and left who weren't okay with it and now it's mostly just the people who are and it's you know it's still weird half the people on the street aren't wearing it and half of them are i would say and people i guess mostly leave each other alone but you'll get a lot of dirty looks and and yes. hard stories you know fights and all this shit breaking out over over this bullshit so yeah, I mean, yeah. Your, your story struck me. I did watch your follow-up video that you did after mm-hmm. the initial one where you explained a bit of the story you just told. And, mm-hmm. you know, and then later I was keeping up with your page. So mm-hmm. I, I wanted to pivot into this, I guess. I was keeping up with your page and later you you lost your job, right? And part of that had yes. to do with the mask 
issue and that sort of thing or was that in regards to the shot i can't i can't recall but no it was in regards it was to it your mask. mouth but it was your mouth right yeah it was yeah it was in regards <laughs> to the mask and in regards to me saying what i wanted to say and not taking down the video after being asked to without directly being asked to they asked you to um, take it down or they like hinted some yeah um they they pretty much said like how how it really happened was you know First of all, let me just say, I was that server. I was that girl that my mask was on my ears, but it was always down. Like, <laughs> like it was down. And so okay, I would have. Hear you. So isn't that a chin diaper? That's what we call that, right? Right. Yeah, I was wearing the chin diaper. <laughs> And sometimes, like, I would ask people, especially, you know, older people who I knew were a little bit more concerned, I would ask them, you know, straightforward, hey, I don't, you know, wear this mask thing, like, are you uncomfortable? Literally 95% of people said that they, you know, weren't uncomfortable, like, it didn't bother them. They were glad that they could see somebody with a face, like, smile. finally, I'm seeing a face again, I'm seeing a smile again, like, I can read your expression, like, finally, like, you know, so a lot of people respected it, but it was like after the video went viral, a lot of people really came to my job to literally start fights and pick fights or, wow. you know, call my job and Damn. they could say, oh, well, you know, Alapensto only so small. We literally have one Twin Peaks. So it wasn't hard to find the girl with the COVID. That so you, you, you became like the talk of the town in a sense. <laughs> I really did. I really I did. Um, some people came actually, you know, to Twin Peaks to say, rock on, like, congratulations, you know, and a lot a lot of people called and was like, she's working around food, fire her, fire her, fire her. Wow, so fucking mad. <laughs> yes, so my boss pretty much said, well, you know, you have to be very careful what you post on social media, you know, that's everything. Private, be- I like, that's your right. private page. It's so crazy, man. Like, we are getting- Thank you. Point. Thank you. point where it's like, you you can't even have a life outside of your profession, or your job or whatever. They're punishing mm-hmm. you holding your own views, taking your own stances on certain things. Like, bitch, they lifted the mandate. Like, what else do you want? It's like, you're really trying to force this, this stuff on everyone. But, you know, look, so, some of the counter arguments to this would be like, oh, okay, so they're a private establishment. What do, you, what do you say to people like that who say, oh, well, this is a private business. They're allowed to do what they want. If they want to use the masks or whatever, then they should be allowed to do that. Um. People have a right to free will and choose to do what they want to do. And I feel like regardless if you're a private business or if you're not, like, at the end of the day, if, it, if it's something down to personal freedom and personal choice and free will, I feel like you can't tamper. You can't tamper with that. I don't care if it's a private business or not. Like, I feel like you can't. You can't tell somebody how to breathe. Oh, and that was the whole, that was one of the arguments that they used to justify segregation in the Jim Crow era. They would say that it's a private business. They can do what they want. And it's like, are you really going to use that argument? Do you know the history of that argument? You know? Right. Yeah. Like that's been struck down before. But well, I guess the, the other side of it too is the people who would say, well, that would require the government to step in and then enforce upon the businesses like that they, they can't do that. You understand what I mean? 
So I guess some of the counter arguments to that is like, oh, well, you're giving the state too much power by allowing them to make a law that then says a business like doesn't have the right to not associate or associate. No, it's not even about making a law. I'm not, I'm not saying just, I agree with this. I'm just saying like, well, I know, but yeah. it's not, there's no law. The, all these, all these mandates and demands are not, none of them are laws. Yeah. There hasn't been a single law. Passed. Yes. But I believe that people don't understand that. I believe that people think like a mandate can only work if you give it, you know, permission to work. If you say, I'm going to go by this, a mandate cannot work unless you say, I'm going to go by this. And I think people believe that mandates are laws and they, they think that, you know, well, the government said it, so I have to do it. Well, not necessarily. You can fight back, but if you choose to comply, like there, there's no telling how far they will take it. And guys, please believe me, they want to take it as far as possible. That's what it seems like. That's certainly what it's, what is indicated to me at least. And many others, you're not alone in that opinion. This isn't going to stop, man. It's not, not until people stand up to these people, not just the oligarchs in power, but now it's a lot of it is going to be people you may know in your own life who are now just under the spell of of authoritarianism. Yes. What it comes down to is certain lines got to be drawn, and they are being drawn. It's unfortunate. Mm -hmm. It's true. It's like, think about it this way. Like, how, like, I'm someone who doesn't have the shot, right? How how am I supposed to maintain a, like, a healthy friendship or relationship with a family member or a friend, right? If, Uh like, deep down that, that other person is like, well, I agree with the mandate. It's good, good. Yes, you should be pushed out of society. You should you shouldn't be allowed to work here or work there. You shouldn't be allowed to go to this event or that event. And and that's that sort of thing. Right. It's like, how do I maintain a good relationship with someone like that who quite literally is okay with me being treated like a like a second class citizen? And that's why I think Brent's comparison is interesting in regards to the Jim Crow era and that, because it's like, think about all the tension between, you know, black and white people at that time. And it's like, say, say you were a white person at the time and you disagreed with Jim Crow, but Uh you didn't say anything about it. You didn't do anything about it. It's like, I imagine it it was probably very difficult to find any black friends who you could probably vibe with because deep down, they're going to be like, well, you say you you're not okay with this, you're not okay with that, but then you go on with your life as if this shit isn't happening to us. And so how, and I feel how like can I be friends with you, you know? So yeah. And being quiet to me is just as, you're just as guilty as doing nothing and allowing it to continue. Yeah. And for me, it has been so, so, for me, like my kid's father's family, she, like the, the grandmother is literally like, you know, you can't come over unless you get vaccinated I've heard that a lot but but she's making certain exceptions when it comes to the kids and I'm like how do you think that I feel so not only are you saying that I am no longer allowed to come over you've opened old wounds when you when you guys didn't originally want him with a black girl you know then eventually you guys accepted it you know and had kids you love your kid you know our my kids are treated just like the other grandchildren. So for me, it's like, wait a minute, are you pretty much saying, and this is how I feel, you're black, you can't come over. Yeah. Like it's that that's how it is, you know, how I feel. And I feel like it's back to, like you said, a second class citizen, because at the end of the day, it's my personal choice. 
And I'm not going to stop loving you or stop wanting to be around you because of your decisions. You know, it, it's and and that's to me what's the most dehumanizing thing for me is that somebody is allowing people's personal free will to be a reason why you won't can't be friends or won't be friends or you cannot agree to disagree respectfully. But for me, I think that this is what the government wanted. This is what, you know, the elite wanted. They wanted a civil war. They wanted the vaccinated against the unvaccinated. The black and white thing isn't really working anymore. People are really waking up to that. Now, don't get me wrong. No, there are right. some races that exist, but and, there, and there's bl- tension. There's a lot of tension. yes, right? Not just there's a lot black of black and white, but like black and Asian, Asian and white. Like, yes, they're stoking all those fires, man. All those fires, and and, and they're starting them. Yes, and people fall into things. I'm like, you will fall into what you see in the media. However, you will live your own your own life, go through your own daily habits, your own routines. You might not even run into some of the stuff you see on the media, but yet you will still sit there and not question it and believe it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, it was, it won't even raise a question of, is this really happening? Is this, are they making it up? Is it, is it more than what they're saying it is? You don't even question it. You just assume, well, it's on TV. It's correct. The same thing that they used to do with you know people of color making us look like we are either more dangerous than we are or we are poverty ridden or you know even with the light skins and the dark skins you know like making it seem like there are only one type of people you know that act this way and it's people of color and they're very dangerous and stay away I'm glad you went into this because I wanted to pivot into this too. Uh, you know, you brought up your your relationship before, and you're in you're in an interracial relationship. For those who don't know, um, I see you and your family. You guys are all very beautiful together. You look really happy. thank you like fun people to hang out with. Uh, your husband's got some cool tattoos too. Um, so (laughs) so one of the things you you talk about on your page and on your channel often is this concept of colorism which is something that's fascinated me before actually before I even you know heard you talk about it but I imagine there's a lot of people who aren't even like familiar with it and what it is I grew up in an urban environment so I grew up in Elizabeth New Jersey it was a very city mixed cultural type of place and you know I, I had friends who experienced colorism and and talked to me about it and that sort of thing but th- this idea of say not being black enough or or acting white whatever the fuck that means you know <laughs> like and then like almost feeling like for certain reasons maybe your skin tone is lighter or like you date a white man or a white woman whatever mm-hmm. someone outside your race and then by feeling like feeling racism from within your own community right and it, it's just it's probably a crazy thing to experience especially when you hear a lot of these people talking about racism all the time and, mm-hmm. breath, and then in the other breath it's like they're they're doing things racist against their own people they're putting them all into yes they're to try and say there's only one way to be black or way to think as a, as a black person and so talk talk about that a bit and you know how that's affected you um it's affect man colorism has affected me a lot um I, at first, I really thought that 
it might be something wrong with me, you know, that that it was an issue that I had within myself. But in the reality of it, I went through so much trauma and so much bullying and not knowing where I fit in on the white side or the black side. Like I was really like the loner, you know, and my my family, I don't think they understood how much it affected me until I got older and was able to really verbalize how I felt and what I had went through, because I think that they at the time just saw it as, you know, normal and something that, you know, when we see a black person that enunciates her words and listens to country music and likes rock and, you know, just has certain behaviors that you would say are white behaviors, you just, oh, you're a valley girl, you're a white girl, you know, and it was just very hurtful. And it was very, it, it was, it was bullying to me. And I never could actually verbalize to them at that time, how hurtful it was. And then when I got in about the sixth grade, um, I was too black for my white friends, you know? So, so it was literally like, there was nowhere that I fit in, but I was only being me. And I could not express that enough that, hey, my mother made me enunciate my words. Like there was like there, it wasn't like I was trying to be some, somebody I wasn't, or like I picked a personality up off the TV. My mother is a perfectionist. My mother was strict. My mother like did not play. Like she <laughs> made sure that her kids were great down to a T, you know? So for me, it was just more of the, more of the, just a mental warfare because what how do you say well I am black like what what is being what what is acting black like what is black enough just that idea too seems racist in and of itself like when you say somebody Mm -hmm. acts black or acts white you're taking Mm -hmm. a stereotypical collection of behaviors and associating them with one race when we know factually that those behaviors are, you know, anybody can have them. There's no reason why, you know, a black person can't enunciate their words clearly or any right. reason why a white person can't like rap music. And like, we have, we know that these, these people, like there's examples that exist and you see them in your life, but it's just like that for some people, they get triggered by, you know, yes. these discontinuities that they, they can't, for some reason, they, they don't want to reconcile in their own minds. I think there are general like cultural norms amongst mm-hmm. different cultures. Yeah, there's or, stereotypes or races and things <laughs> like that. But it's like, <clears throat> well, what I'm saying is, even even stereotypes, I think to some extent, come from some of them at least come from actual general cultural norms. And by norms, I don't mean like good. I just mean the most common way of acting as a culture. Right. And there are like Ebonics is a thing. There are certain oh, yeah, ways. There's, there's truth to stereotypes yeah. because that's how they become what I'm saying is like, like Ebonics, for example, is like a thing. It's a way of speaking. It's like a whole, it's a whole cultural thing. And I know, it people, is. I know people who were intellectuals um, that spoke that way. And like, I went to college. I have this one, one friend. I don't really talk to him anymore. I don't know what he's up to. He's a professor now, actually. But um, he he would use Ebonics deliberately in his writing style. And mm-hmm. he, was, he was trying to use it in a sort of cultural way to, to make a style I guess he felt was a little more Black in that way. But he knew what he was yes. doing. He was doing it deliberately. It wasn't that he like couldn't speak. I don't want to say properly because I don't know if that's the right term. But he could, he could speak this way 
for example. He chose not to. He he would he would mm. use slang all the time on purpose, and he would use it in his writing as a style. So I think that there's something to it culturally that's legitimate. The problem is when we try to reduce everyone in a say a certain race or culture or environment to the particular norm of that culture or environment you get what I mean so yes like Brent said there there's white people listen to rap music like I know white people who talk in Ebonics so that more more than certain black people I know who don't talk that way at all you know so (laughs) so the crazy thing and then this is how me and my um my husband, my kids, but this is how we bonded. Okay. Um, he grew up in an urban neighborhood. I grew up kind of middle-class suburbia. I had the two-parent home. He had the single, he had the single mother home. His father lived around the corner, but was it, you know, involved in his life? He grew, he went to all black schools. I went to predominantly white schools. Mm. And when we met each other, it was literally like, we accepted each other for what society thought we should be. We were literally the complete opposites of what society would think we would be like. He loves rap music. He talks in Ebonics, you know, and it's who he is. It's not him trying to culture appropriate. It's not, you know, him trying to be someone he's not or be more urban. Like that's just genuinely and truly who he is. If you talk to him over the phone, you're going to think that he's black. (laughs) <laughs> and then when you see him, you're going to be like, just like when I when I talk on the phone, people assume that I'm white. And when they see me, they're like, okay. <laughs> so that's where we, you know, kind of bonded at. And we were able to say, hey, it's okay that society doesn't see us the way that for who we are. But me and you see each other for who we are. And I'm okay with that. He was the first person that made me feel comfortable, you know, wearing my natural hair, made me feel comfortable blasting my country music up and listening to my heavy metal and not having to feel weird or guilty about it or somebody staring at me like, what's wrong with her? What's your favorite metal band? Really quick, favorite metal band. (laughs) Favorite metal band, really quick. Favorite um, favorite metal band, I'm going to say ACDC. It's more rock. That's not really metal. Well, I used to listen to heavy metal back then, but I'm more, I'm more ACDC now. And um, I listen more, to like I listen to like some heavy shit, like the type oh, of like screamo like, like heavy or like no, like like, like death you? metal heavy, like like your oh. like your your umbrella would tell you to turn it off type of heavy that you're gonna summon the demons or some shit. Like Brent, like can't stand for long. I'm like if he plays it at certain times of the day. I'm like Daniel, this is not a heavy. But you know, it, it goes to some of the points you were making too. That like, like so, I'm gay, for example, and in in the gay world, that's not common. Most gay men don't listen to music like that at all. Um, wow. I, I don't have a lot of sexual partners, that sort of thing. I've never been like very promiscuous. I don't go to gay bars. Like I don't, I don't do that. I don't roll with that. I don't, I don't. You don't talk like mm-hmm. that, Daniel. Oh my god. god. I mean, it's fine if you do. I don't give a shit. But that, that's not me. I don't wave rainbow flags around. It's like I'm not proud of it. It's just it's who I am. But I'm not ashamed of it either. I don't, I don't hide it. Obviously. But right. just these boxes, you know, that yes. general norm of the culture wants to try to fit everyone in. And part of that, I think, is the media. They, they like project the certain type of image of what it is to be black or what it is to be white or what it is to be gay. 
and then yes. people consume and consume and consume that and then when someone doesn't fit that mold immediately it's like oh well you must be ashamed of yourself or you must be like have internalized racism or internalized homophobia or internalized you know and right. it's just like like no dude, I'm just me like I'm just the way I am it's not like there's no one way to be gay you know and there's no uh-huh. way to be black there's there's no maybe there's certain norms right that are more common but that doesn't mean that everyone is going to fit into that and it certainly doesn't mean that they should and you shouldn't you shouldn't treat people in that way either because look look what happens you know like you said you you went through trauma and yeah, I mean it still affects me like it, yeah. it still affects me when I mean, I just literally am, I have this severe anxiety. Like right now I had to pace because I end up hearing noise and now I'm having anxiety a little bit, but I like it, it's literally too. something that I have dealt with all of my life. And I never even knew, you know, how bad it affected me. Like I literally, okay. So if I was at my grandparents' house for the weekend, I would try to talk more, um, more like my cousins, more Ebonics, more, you know, with some slang in there. And then when I would get with my white friends, because I have predominantly white friends, you know, my cousins were my family, my friends um, that were black, but I would hype up a little bit of my accent because I didn't know, you know, that more of a Valley girl talk because I did not want to be, you know, too black. So it literally got to a point where, and I'm diagnosed with BPD, it got to a point where I would literally be stuck in personalities and moods and I would get irritated. Like as I got older and I would get irritated and I would get so upset and angry or sad and depressed because I was, when is it ever going to be a point where I can be comfortable being me? Yeah. When is it ever going to, when is it ever going to be okay? When, when am I just by myself who I am with no explanations ever going to be enough I think it's you you have to stop looking so much for the validation outside of yes and I've seen you talk about this sort of thing too on your videos before like you do motivational videos Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing but it's like it's not that we shouldn't listen to the opinions and, and views of us from our loved ones for example and people who really care about us actually you should you should definitely listen to their views but at the end of the day you can't like be dependent upon anyone's validation that is yes. parents especially your parents because you're going to be looking for it the most from them you know and that's why i think it's more important than ever to know how to like detach from needing that validation and to just become your own individual your own self so and when I and when I said you know what f everybody I do not care I don't care what people say mm -hmm. that's when I started literally finding that peace within me and my peace is too expensive so (laughs) if I I don't want it it is my piece is expensive I have worked for it I have grinded for this I went through the the tears and the bloodshed you know and the hurt to finally be comfortable with who I am and I will not allow anyone to take that from me or tear me down or allow their opinions you you, everybody can have opinions but your opinion is not a fact it is just that an opinion and you know I reprogram my subconscious to say you know you are enough you are you know you are healthy you are wealthy you you can be whatever you want you know and then I always say what is normal because I think if we all look a little bit in the mirror, a little bit hard enough, all of us are a little effed up somewhere. All it's of us have issues weird, somewhere. 
just being human is weird. Like this whole experience is weird as hell. Like if you really step back and like pretend that you weren't a human, maybe you were a freaking alien or something and you try to yeah. like zoom out from this shit and like look at it. I'd be like, what the fuck is going on down there? Like, what the hell are these things? Like, what are they doing? Like, damn, that one's doing this over here. Like, like a bunch of them are all having sex over here. They're all killing each other over there. <laughs> it's nuts, you know, it really is nuts. I think we we do need to question those things too. And not that there aren't norms. Obviously there's stuff that's like statistically more likely or happening or ways of being, but I think right. like people are all a little strange and we all have our own peculiarities about us well we forget too that that everybody comes with a host of generational traumas that get passed down from parent to child and a lot of it is just sort of a remnant of the fact that the world used to be a much darker much more difficult place to live where people Mm -hmm. treated each other much more poorly so when we come to today where the population is like, you know, fact orders of magnitude greater than it's ever been before. And all of the parents of those previous generations, because like, I don't know about you, but going back in my family line, for example, my dad's dad was extremely aggressive. He verbally and emotionally abused my dad's mother, which gave my, my dad a lot of, you know, trauma, like uh, just from witnessing that. And uh-huh. he has a whole bunch of negative behaviors that he never really like processed and, and released that trauma. So he's still affected by it. And, you know, like that, you know, we get that coming down, you know, to our, to our level with like me and my, my siblings. So it's, yes. it's kind of funny. And that's just on my dad's side. You know, my, my mom's father was also verbally and physically abusive, not to the kids, but, you know, to the, to his wife. And, you know, it was very restrictive. You know, the kids used to not be able to, to go outside and have sleepovers and all kinds of craziness. So that really, it does come down and it comes down in various forms. And, you know, if you investigate, like a lot of this stuff, I didn't even know until I was in my thirties. Like I had to have like serious conversations with my parents about what it was like for them to grow up in their households, because these are things that they don't volunteer normally. So we, we all have these, these weird like things that get passed down. And unless we really take, you know, a, a moment for self-reflection and self-work, it's not like, it's not something that really comes across. It's, it's, it's not something we realize. And, and everybody has that to varying degrees. Yes, of course. Like I'm telling you, like when I, and I won't necessarily say that I believe in, necessarily in white privilege, um, because I believe if you benefit fit, benefited from it, but whenever like I talk about white privilege, I talk about the knowledge and the knowledge of you know learning, gener- learning how to break generational curses, learning about generational wealth. Because up until recently, like I, I don't know how it is, you know, from what I've experienced. Just I can only talk from what my experience is, and I think that's where some people don't understand other people. You can only talk about what you've experienced or what you've seen. You know, I can try to empathize with you, but I can only go as far of what I've, what I've experienced. And what I've seen is that in the black families, we don't talk about anything. You could be sitting at the dinner table with your molester, but sh- be quiet, enjoy dinner, you know? So for me, I think that, you know, the, the more that we have these talks, the more that we can say, hey, I feel like this, this is what I go through. Maybe you guys, you know, feel the same. We can all kind of start to heal in a way. Yes. 
deal with each other and break these generational curses because they are strongholds and genetics yeah. and traumas they they flow through but bloodlines yeah i agree totally. i totally agree i think i think that the conversations do need to happen and not just within the black families but like this you know be across mm -hmm. races across the barriers you know where we're reaching out to each other and we're trying to understand each other more and um, you know, on this point of like colorism, when, when you think about it, it's like, you know, I brought up the point earlier of say white people who were from the Jim Crow area or earlier and did not agree with the things that were happening. It's like, think about how some of those people, the abolitionists were treated by their, their fellow white people for, for standing up for their friends, their people, you know, their friends who are black and saying, I don't agree with this. You know, so yes, it's the same sort yeah. of thing. It's like, you're not white enough. If you don't right. at that time, that would have been the case at that time. It would have been like, well, that's not the white thing to do. It's like, you're supposed to all, you're supposed to agree with all of us. And it's like, and remember all that shit was legal. So back yeah. now, when it comes to like mandates and all this bullshit, we're talking about like, like following what the authorities say, because they say like, oh, that's, that's the law now, even though it's not, it's like, remember mm -hmm. the, the biggest atrocities were, were justified with some sort of legislation or mandate or something that the government was approving and signing, you know, and then that became the norm and everyone said, oh, well, we were just following orders. So exactly. God, but I think, you know, talk. but I think it's, it's coming to the point where, you know, it's so, it's so much, if you look, if you look around and if you listen to the media and if you just, it's so much segregation that, or some, so many things are trying to be segregated that there's going to have to be a point where everybody literally has to realize at the end of the day, we all are human. You know, we all want to be able to live in peace. We all want to be able to pay our bills. We all want to be able to have healthy children and be healthy. And it has to come to a point of emotional maturity to say, I have my free will to do what I want as long as I'm not being hateful to someone or harming someone. And at the end of the day, regardless if I agree or disagree, I need to respect that person and continue, you know, to move and grow. The issue is, you know, there is no respect for somebody else's view or opinion. Right. No, no matter if it's about being vaccinated, about, you know, about racism, about, about colorism, about, you know, being vegan or eating meat. It, it, it's just, it always has to turn into a, you're wrong and I'm right. And there is no in between. Yeah. Well, and I feel like that's the biggest issue with humanity is, is there is no in between. There is no understanding. There is no judgment and moving along. Everything has to be a fight. Everything has to be confrontational. Well, and our, our leaders, you know, like it that way because it keeps us vying with each other for dominance and for control instead of, you know, looking at them and being like, y'all are stealing a bunch of money and being shady and, you know, like they'd love us fighting over, you know, yeah. racism. Don't and talk sexuality. about Epstein. Don't protest lockdowns and mandates and all that. Just, you know fight over this fight yeah over fight George over Floyd, that well, and for, you know. there's also like a lot of it is you see the same thing in the gay community for example like there's this idea of what being gay means you know in terms of behavior in terms of style yeah well I was, I was talking about that earlier yeah well but it's it's very just like they they use the same thing in order to create division within a community of people and then they 
a benefit from that, that division because yeah, yeah, yeah. it prevents the the community from really co like co co or com coming together around a certain set of values or ideas. Yeah, coming to like a consensus. Yeah. No, I, I agree. It's like the same sort of division that they're sowing amongst, say, the different groups. And, and I use that term loosely, you know, because I hate separating people into those areas based on like skin color and that's or sexuality, but amongst the groups, but then they look at the individual group and they, they fracture within the group itself as well. You know, they use the techniques to break up the gay community. So there is disagreement among them. They, they need the establishment voice of what it means to be LGBT to Trump. <laughs> I'm not using that word either, like ironically. Any other voice that- <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to that. I'm not using that word. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm not using that word ironically, but anyone that diverts from that mainstream idea of what it means to be that, and then bam, it's like you fracture the group itself. Like Brett and I, we know so many like homo cons, or like gay conservatives or, or libertarians or, or people who just- don't fit into that lefty stereotype of what you're supposed to be, you know, and how you should feel about yourself. And a lot of it we know is, is this uh, victimology. It's like, it's like almost like it's oppression Olympics. Oh my God. That's yes. what I've been calling it. It's like everyone's competing of like, who's more oppressed. Is it, it's not the gay men. It's, it's, it's not the black gay men. It, it's, you know, I guess it's the black trans women. I think that's the agreement. Queer, now. black, trans women. They're, they're considered the most oppressed. But it's like, what if I'm like black, trans, or like bi non-binary or whatever, and like, and I'm missing a leg, or I have an eye patch, or like both my arms are gone or something. Like, where do I, am I like the most oppressed? Like, yes. Because you can look, my point is you could fracture our identities down into a million pieces. Jordan yeah. Peterson talks about this too. And when you really get down to it and all of the nuanced things about people's lives, you know, everyone's got suffering to deal with. Everyone's got some kind of issue or problem. Everyone's going to deal with death, right? And mortality. Everyone's going to face some, yeah. some form of stereotyping or discrimination yeah. of some sort at some point in their life from some other group or person or race or whatever, at some point, whether it's gay or straight or black or whatever. So it's like, when you really get down to the nitty gritty of it, I think you are correct in that we have to remember those things of what makes us all human, despite the other shit, right? Despite the generational trauma and the wounds and those sort of things that, yes, they're still festering and the country's healing from that, right? But how do you move forward? I think you got to do it that way. You got to try to respect each other's opinions, but it's complicated because, you know, Brian and I, we study this psychopath topic and that's one of the reasons we think this, this sort of thing doesn't really happen. People aren't able to unify because we don't totally understand that, yes, everyone for the most part does want to just survive, wants a roof over their head. Has a functioning conscience. Has a functioning conscience, wants to just live a normal, normal life. The problem is there may be a small amount of people. Roughly 4%. And we don't know. It's, it's not actually a small amount. It could, it could be. It's pretty high when you think about it, but who just don't have a conscience or it's just like there's, they don't feel empathy. It's just not there. And it doesn't matter how much you because try to convince them or change them or rehabilitate them or anything. And it's like, I think if enough good people understood that there really is this small percentage of pathological people across races too. You know, across races, like remember, there were there were black, there were black warlords in Africa. You want to say right there? 
there are black warlords in Africa trading the slaves to the white masters in Europe. You know, so we have to understand like pathological behavior is across races, you know, across races that was dehumanized. So if you can't understand that there are particular types of people amongst the group who did we lose her? I think we did lose her. Looks like her connection went out. I'm going to just riff on this thought and we'll see. I mean, can she just join back in? I think so. I guess we'll see. But yeah, this, uh, let me just go on this idea that if you, if you can't, educate people within the general community of normal folks that there's this like small percentage of very not normal yeah. folks that you're always going to be tricked and divided again and you know led back into that same direction of fighting amongst yourselves yeah it's that one well, that's that's the biggest problem with the and that's why i kind of refer to psychopathy as like the perennial problem of problems it's like we talk about the environment we talk about racism we talk about uh, violent protests and, you know, violent police officers, but we never get to the root of like, those are all sort of symptoms of this disease of like pathology having macrosocial impacts in society and manifesting in various ways. And until we grok that, and I love that word grok because grok means to deeply understand. I like macrosocial. Macrosocial is good, but I like grok because it's, I don't know, I like the way it's G-R-O-K, grok sounds really good uh but it means to deeply understand a subject or or an, uh, a thing that that until you grok the impact of psychopathy on humanity at the macrosocial level we cannot move you know actual progress forward because anytime we take you know we'll go three steps forward we'll take two steps back or we'll yeah. go two steps forward we'll take three steps back which is why you can see we've been our culture really sort of peaked in the 90s and we've been more or less retrogressing ever since hmm. yeah no I, I agree and it comes back to not understanding those types are amongst us that's what I think it really, that was the main point. It's very important. So why don't we, we'll pause right now. Let's well, we can pause right now and we'll see if we could get Alexia back on, see what happened. But Instagram is still down, so. Okay, Alexia is back. She just had a minor brief family emergency. Hey, y'all, sorry, I'm back. They busted in on her. They knew she was talking to Mac <laughs> about them all. <laughs> they did. They felt it. They felt it. <laughs> But yeah, you know, so I think uh, the last point Brent and I left off on, we, we were talking about this, this idea of like psychopathy, you know, that there are particular types of people out there and there's a lot of them, but I guess compared to the whole population, it's a rather small amount who just stand on a conscience and it, that's across races, that's across barriers. And although I think you're correct in that for the most part, I don't know if I would use uh -huh. everyone, but for the most part, people just want to live. And they want a roof over their heads. They want to be loved. They want to love someone. They want to eat. They want to be left alone yeah. mostly, right? But then you have these types of people who, yeah, sure, they want to do what they want and they want to live. The problem is what they want to do and how they want to live is they want to hurt people. They want to use. Yes. Them. They want to abuse them. They want to. They they view them as a resource, not as something that's you know human mm -hmm. how do you contend with that when you're trying to bring groups together and say have these conversations when you don't understand that those types of people are out there too you know and i think that's that's one of the reasons it doesn't happen you know is that we're always fighting and the elite always use us they find a way to just break us apart it's a problem you'll see too with any time that there's a political action group and i don't just mean like you know 
like any sort of group that forms, you'll find that, you know, if you get in on the ground floor, for example, and you're in the group and you guys are associating, you'll find that there are these like troublemakers that are constantly, you know, trying to like get a side or, or form sides within the group. And it's a big problem, mm-hmm. especially when you have like, like a large movement like BLM, for example. Like there were a lot of smaller BLM chapters that were trying to do good work, community outreach, you know, like that kind of stuff. And then you have like the national organization, which got these, you know, tens of millions of dollars in funding and basically just like pocketed a bunch of it and was like, okay, bye, we're going to leave now. Yeah, Miss Mansions. I forgot her name. Miss Mansions. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Like, are you serious? Yeah. That was just... I have no words, just deplorable. Yeah. I have no words for that. That was just despicable. <laughs> the okay. Absolutely despicable. <laughs> Outrage. Um, and I already felt some type of way about that movement. Like, like you said, the small groups, you know, I get it. They're they're trying to do the part, but you know, the the movement as a whole on the national, you know, on, on the huge level, I was literally like, guys, I need y'all to wake up right now. They're using everyone. Same man. thing with the gay groups. Like if you look at GLAD, for example, they are the worst pushers of what I call like gay propaganda or LGBT. They push the stereotypes. They normalize mm-hmm. the stereotypes because they want that's that's their view of homosexuality and many of the many of the really rich new york city style gays are like that they're more feminine they're very like metro they're very fashion conscious and they sort of look down their nose at the conservative gays like the you know the the more rural gays the more masculine like lumberjacky dirty kind of gays they they look down their nose at them and they they don't want them to be considered you know the representatives of the group and so they they push this yeah. perspective through television and marketing and you know they also use outlets like lgbtq yeah. news and, and they and they news. claim to be for diversity which is the ironic part about it you know it's the same thing with like you know the way you see people like candace owens treated and whatever like, you, know, you, you had a video on candace earlier i think we'll, we'll talk about but like look whether you like candace owens or don't like candace owens the point is not all black minds are going to fit and conform into the little box of the way you think they should think. Right. You know, mm-hmm. that's what this comes down to is like these people claim to be all about diversity and they say, you know, support black voices or LGBT voices and give them a platform and give them space. Just not those voices, not that one, right. that one not that one and not yes. that one. Yes. Like these ones, sure. Give them, give them space, you know, let them talk. And it's like, the hypocrisy is outstanding so yes and and for me like don't get me wrong like I'm and and it's so crazy to me that when you say certain things people literally take what you say and completely pervert it or flip it or only take bits and pieces of what you said and you're like that's not even what I said and I feel like so many times like now I'm getting to point where you know what you're going to hear what you want to hear. It's called selective, <laughs> selective hearing yeah. and you're going to make whatever point, but th- that wasn't my point. It literally, the last few videos I've made has literally went over people's heads. And I'm like, that's not even what I was trying to say. You're not listening. But I think for me, it's like, if you're going to, I love her politics. I love Candace politics, Candace, yeah. but for me, don't speak for the black community as a whole, or if you do don't black bash 
in the midst of that because and, and this is the problem that i have with i understood so i don't understand yeah. how people miss that point i i thought it was very clear i understood what you were saying they were like oh my like i literally lost 500 followers damn 500 followers it's like these followers you know, like, about, for, for the about, viewers at home though you gotta say what 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 did you say about candace yeah what I said was, I love Candace politics. When it comes to her politics, when it comes to her stance, I, I get it, girl. I understand. Let's do this. Like, yes, wake people up. Hello. But when it comes to saying certain things about the Black community, for, for me, when she talks, she and it's like she's, she's, not, she's never been Black. And for me, it's like you're speaking as and, and I'm and I'm not trying to go back to the colorism, but yeah. it's true for me. You're speaking at you're speaking for me as if as if that is what the the white, you know, media wanted you to say it, 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 in the beginning. It was about her politics. It was about, hey, guys, this is not what's affecting the black community. This uh you know, father absence, you know, abortion, like this is what's affecting the, the, um, the black community. And then it went into black bashing. Black people are the most disrespectful people you'll ever meet, you know, um, black people, you know, could sometimes could be so ignorant and, and it's like, but everybody can. So, so for me, it's like, don't, uh, don't just associate disrespect or, you know, or behaviors with black people it's the community as a whole what's so crazy is she's she's doing what much of the people on the left do that i was just talking about before it's like putting them in a box and you know she gets yes. by all these lefties who are like oh well that's not black enough black people shouldn't think that way well it's like well mm -hmm. the same thing now you're looking at all these say black people who don't conform into the way that you're thinking and behaving etc politically whatever or their yeah. styles and you're just automatically putting them all in a box as well and it's like, yes. it, it is complicated. Like when it comes to growing up in an urban environment and this much, I understand, I understand how much of what we call a ghetto is it's very much, it's a cycle. It's a vicious cycle. It's yes. like a trap. And this mm -hmm. is when people talk about systemic racism and the systemic problems, they're talking about the generational wealth aspect They're talking about, and without even realizing it, they're talking about the welfare state, but they just don't realize yes. it. And they're talking about the breakdown of the family crime right like dangerous areas to live with lower income families right mm -hmm. so it's like when you grow up in a place like that it is not easy to get out I think everyone right. should take every opportunity they should to get out or to fix it or improve the community if you do get out that sort of thing but the problem is it does suck a lot of people in who just don't get out and I think that's that's what the left is trying to address when they talk about those systemic issues. But what the right needs to kind of understand now is that that is what's going on. It's like a lot of these people, yes, they, they, they might have opportunities presented to them, but there's a lack of education. There's a lack of resources. Yes, there's a lack of, a lack of understanding. For, yes. For families that might need that little extra help or education on how to navigate and get their kids, say, into a better school or this or that, whatever it is. So it's like we need to address those issues, repairing the family unit. So I agree with the conservatives on that aspect. Mm -hmm. You can't just put all those people into a box and say, well, they're all just ghetto trash. They're making black people look bad, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, that's, and that's how I feel. That's and not going to exactly, fix it either. That's exactly you know? how I feel. It's like, that's right. not, that's not going to fix it either. You're going to just further ostracize those people from you instead of getting them to hear your point. And right. it doesn't help her case. So I got what you said. Like, I understood it completely. I'm like, I agree. Like, Alexia, get it.
speak queen. Yeah, and, and it's a hurtful thing because she, you can be helping so many people, you know, because, but it's like you can't even pass go and collect the $200 uh -huh. because they are already insulted and, you know, it went out one ear and out the other, and now they don't even want to hear from you uh, anymore. Yeah. Yep. And for me, I think what, what people fail to understand, and, and not some, but most that have never had to endure the struggle, we, we, we can only go as far as our parents have gone. And some of our parents have been very successful and have been able to break the mold. Some of our parents have not. And it's because we are taught to survive. Like some of the things that I know I was taught because my mother did decide to step out and break that mode. And she became a celebrity stylist and a business owner and traveled. So I got to see certain things, but some people and some of my family members, they did not. And it was because we're too busy surviving to have the time, not the, the knowledge because you can go on Google or Chrome and, you know, look up anything now for free, but you, there is no necessary time for that. Some of these young children, their mother is a single mother or their father is a single father. And you have kids 10 years old watching their baby sister, you know, or their or their baby cousins or and there is no time yeah. for them to learn, for them to know. So most kids in the urban communities, they are waking up, uh, washing their face, brushing their teeth, eating breakfast if they have breakfast in the house. Or they're relying on getting to school in time to eat breakfast at school, learning what they can, but they have so many emotional issues going on that are not being addressed that they can't even focus in school and retain the information. Then they get home and they have to do, then eating lunch, you know, at school. It might not have been good that day, but they had to eat something, might not even have dinner when they get home. Maybe some schools do provide, you know, packages where they can take that home and have snacks and stuff, but some schools don't. And then they have to worry about getting because in the black families, if you, if you can do this, you know, because it is a privilege. Our parents make us take two showers. I don't know what that's about, but I guess it's about like washing the germs off or anything. But it's, it's back in the shower, you know doing your homework you know regardless if you retain it or not some parents don't have the time to go over it with you and you're you're either getting you know dinner on your own or if you're e even getting dinner or you're waiting for your mom to come home with some fast food or whatever and then you're off to bed and then you're doing that same survival mode over and over and over and, and, and if mom involved is either and in, in the kids that you're right kidding. it's like they don't have time to like you know, how's, your, how's school going or like go to the PTO meetings and those sorts of things. It's like a lot of the parents are either burnt out or, you know, there's the addiction issue. There's the abuse yes. issue. There's the fatherlessness issue. You know, there's there's uh, drug dealing, gang banging, all this shit. It's like gang banging as a culture is one of the things yeah. that I was really referring to when I referred to like this sort of trap of, of the ghetto and the urban environment. I want to bring up um, a point that Kendrick Lamar actually had made. In an, in an interview I saw a couple of years ago, actually, but he was talking about, and I don't agree with Kendrick on all of his like politics and like his dick riding Obama and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. But he made a really excellent point when, you know, he was being interviewed and they were talking to him, I guess, about his wealth and his fame. And he said, you know, when he got really famous and wealthy, he had family members and stuff who were still back where he came from. You know, I think he was from mm. Compton, right? I think he's from Compton, isn't he? 
I'm not really, I don't really, I don't know. Compton, look it up, Brad. I'll look it up. <laughs> I think he's from Compton, but he, you know, he's got friends and family there. And now he's all of a sudden, he's big. He's hit it big. He has all this money, you know, and they'll just come out of the woodwork and start hitting him up for this and hitting up for that. And he talked about how he, he just had to just stop and he had to Compton. disconnect. Yeah, he's from Compton. Disconnect from some of these people because he knew he couldn't just hand them money, that that alone was right. going to change their lives. You know, he's talked about how a lot of these people don't want to get out of that environment, that that's all they know. It's all they understand mm -hmm. is that lifestyle is, is, is the gang violence, the, you know, the excitement of it, the drugs running, all that shit, you know, the hierarchy of it, the toughness of it. It's badass. Yes. There's an edge to it. It's like, and he talks about how a lot of those people, you can't just hand them money. Like you can remove them from the ghetto, but you can't just like take the ghetto out of them in a sense. Yes. And they'll get that money and they'll blow it on, on stupid shit. They'll blow it on, on hookers and weed and, and, or whatever. Like, so like, it comes back to this point of like education. You can't just like pour money into a situation and think that that solves it. It's like, you have to right. talk, you have to have these conversations. You have to address the family issues. You know, how do you have a strong family unit? You know, how do you educate the different families in these environments to make sure that they know there are other opportunities for their kids or for themselves to help elevate them out of their situations so you don't say you have to collect welfare for the rest of your life and right one of the criticisms i've seen of say the welfare state is that uh, i think it was thomas saul who called it the I'm trying to remember how how he phrased it it was like the the oppression of low expectations something like that mm -hmm. where it's like you have a system where you're handing out aid right money to families and the more say kids that that family has the more money they're eligible to get but what it does unfortunately is even though it helps it also kind of creates an incentive where the parent does not want to lift themselves higher out of yes. that situation because then they will then lose the assistance and the crutch that they're getting once they pass a certain bracket or income monetarily they may have to work harder for that or whatever but the point is that it might stop them from say taking or seeking certain opportunities that they could have to then right. themselves out of the situation you understand yeah, and, oh i understand completely so um i had my my first child um i was 19 when i got pregnant and i had him at 20 okay. and i refused because i knew how the system was, I understood that welfare, you had to have the parent, for instance, if you tell someone who's struggling, but someone who's seen it happen for generations and happens for, for grandmas, if you take your father, if you don't have a man in the home, I will not only give you food, I will give you child daycare services. I will also give you section eight or project housing, and I will be the man in your house. What do you think that that woman is going to do who, who may have issues in her relationship, who, who seen grandma grow up without a man or a man in and out, in and out, but couldn't stay or had to leave, you know, when inspection came? What do you think that person is going to do? They are going to choose the government every time because it's guaranteed money. I saw how that broke the family. I saw how my mother did do it without the government and her and my father worked and you know and and literally just progressed up and on and and drove you know me and my brother out of the district drove 30 minutes to school and you know because they wanted us to do better but some people are not going to take that extra incentive because the government is going to take care of me so I refuse to accept it because it is a crutch and a crutch that's going to keep me here because I will be too comfortable to do anything about it
Yeah. And it seems like a lot of this is too, like, like one of the things that strikes me about this idea of white privilege is that it's not so much white privilege as it is financial privilege. Mm-hmm. And, Thank you. Yes. Or beauty yeah. privilege, yeah. for example, because there are a lot of like, you know, there's a lot of people that come from money. Like, and I think Candace Owens is a good example. Like she can, you know, she has, you know, parents who are successful, you know, she has, you know, she had parents that had a lot of income. And so it, you see that. And then again, you see it across the board because you see these, you know, like the kids of actors who get involved in acting because, you know, they had that, that network connection to Hollywood or whatever. And uh-huh. it's common. And you see it like, you know, look at like Will Smith. Yeah. I was and, about to bring up Will Smith. I'm like, so is, is Jaden and Jada, are they are like oppressed? Like <laughs> so oppressed. You know, right. meanwhile, my mom like grew up with cerebral palsy and lives in a wheelchair and is as white as a has ghost, white skin. You know, so is LeBron James more oppressed than my mother? You know? It doesn't make any sense. It's like it, you have to look at the nuance. And I think that's why I think the white privilege thing falls apart is it, it fails to address the nuance. There are white ghettos. Lots. Of yes. Them. Lots. Of lots them. Yeah, there are lots of them. trailer park ghettos. Same situation. They're stuck in a place in a, in a culture and a certain way of thinking and being and a certain like way of thinking about money, for example, uh-huh government assistance all that stuff it's it's happening there and there's there's a lack of fatherlessness that's been increased yes. across the country not just mm-hmm. in the black home but like across the country that's been happening for the last few decades so the issue is definitely far beyond just the effects that it's having on the black community it's the effects it's having on the country as a whole and we have to remember like people's situations are different they're new right you know but that's what i was trying to say earlier like when people are like, oh, it's white privilege, it's this and it's that. Well, at this point, to me, and it's about the knowledge, but I understand like you might not be able to retain the knowledge, but it has to become a a mindset of I want better, I'm going to do better, so I have to go figure it out. My politics and my stances didn't come because of school. It didn't come because of my parents. I had to go figure it out for myself. I had to go pick up a book. I had to do some research. I had to figure out, hey, I have kids. What are my decisions doing for my kids? What what are my voting, you know, ways doing for my kids? How is this going to affect them in five or six years? But people do not take the time to, to sit down and think about that. And yes, I understand people are are day-to-day surviving but you still have to make that choice Mm -hmm. it's a choice now it's a choice to want to know different to want to be different to want more to know that hey this happened with mommy and daddy or grandma but it doesn't have to happen with me and I feel like that's where I try to say look I don't I don't know all the answers you know like I don't know everything but I'm damn sure gonna figure out what works for me I'm damn sure going to figure out what works for me and my kids. I'm damn sure not going to be struggling. I'm damn sure got some goals and I'm going to reach those goals. Because at this point, I've been through me too. You know, I was roofied. I've been through addiction. You know, I've been through colorism. I've been through having issues in an interracial relationship. And let me tell you, you still have issues raising kids in an interracial relationship because the background is just different. Certain things we have to agree to disagree on. But there is no excuses for me not getting where I want to be. There is no excuses for me not expanding my my thinking and, and my knowledge. The only excuse is me not wanting to or making excuses of why I cannot get there. So I think this is a, a good segue into like the idea of CRT, 
you know, critical race theory and, you know, it's a big contentious issue right now in the school systems across the country. And, you know, one of the ways I've been looking at it is like, what is it going to do to all of these young black minds and, and indigenous minds that you are teaching this mentality? Because that is what you're kind of doing, that they are lesser, that they've just been abused their entire history, their entire lives. It's like they say it's, you know, they're trying to teach just history. But it's like, no, man, there's an ideology. There's a way of looking at history that is being taught here, not just mm-hmm. the events that happened. Do you understand what I mean? And it's yes. like, why aren't we emphasizing like the pyramids? Why aren't we emphasizing like, you know what I mean? Like the, the greater things that came out of Africa and African culture. It's like, you're really going to, you're, we're going to just focus on that. We're going to focus on the, the shitty aspects of it, the, the struggles, the horrible parts. It's like, to me, it's like CRT is kind of doing that. It seems like it's teaching these, these young kids that they need to view themselves as perpetual victims. They can't get ahead. You're, you're always going to be at a disadvantage to the white man. So you might as well just, you know, fight back and what you can. And it's like, no, you can change your mindset. You can say, well, look, maybe some people don't like me because of my skin color or whatever, but I am not oppressed. I'm going to do what I have to do. I'm going to get mine. Like I'm going to change my life. I'm going to make the decisions I need to make and and live for my family. And I'm not going to let other people tell me how I need to think about myself. And this this is how I feel about the gay thing for me too. It's like, because I spent years coming to terms and trying to like feel normal, et cetera. And it's just like, you know, fuck all of that. Like people are going to feel how they feel about you at the end of the day. And it's like, mm-hmm. I don't need that outside validation. I'm going to do what I need to do for myself. But I can't go around just always feeling like a victim all the time or like, poor yes. me, unfair. Why am I born this way? Why do I have to deal with this and that? Why can't I just have a normal family or, or you know, had a more easier life? Where the hell is that going to get me? Like, I can, I can. Oh, you just took the words out my mouth. I can say the heteronormative, oppressive patriarchy or whatever is holding me down. Right. Or I can say, well, no, I'm going to build my own thing. I'm going to create my network. I'm going to find the like-minded people who love me for me, no matter yes. what. And, and I'm not going to let this, this way of thinking just hold me back and keep me from, from bettering myself, you know? Or experiencing and, the yeah. world. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I agree with that a hundred percent. Like I, I, like I said, I do understand that people are in survival mode, but again, it, it's a choice because if you continue to look at yourself as less, like you said, you will be less. So for me, it's just, it's, it's not, failure is not an option. No matter how many times I have to try, no matter fail, how hard you I fail. have to be consistent, yeah. failure is not an option, but doing nothing it's I must certainly will fail. Yeah, It's a guaranteed fail mm-hmm. if I do nothing. But even those like, you know, I literally, I, for me, I feel like I create my own lane. I break the mold am- amongst myself, amongst my friends, amongst my family, because I am going to be that one. It might not happen tomorrow. It might not happen in a year, but I am going to be that one that looks back and be like, I told y'all I was going to make that generational wealth. I told y'all I was going to learn and I was going to figure it out. I believe you when I see you and I look at you and I hear you saying it. I'm like, <laughs> I believe it. You know, that's why we invite you so- on the show. It's the, Thank gen- you. it's the genuineness, you know, when I watched your videos, like one of the videos uh, I watched, uh, I think July, it was the one you did about your interracial relationship. And you talked mm-hmm. about some of the things you talked about before and how like he saw you for you and you saw him for him. And, you know, he went to like an all black school and was picked on there and you went to a mostly white school and were picked on there. And it's like, mm-hmm. 
I cried. I thought it was so beautiful when I saw that video. I'm like, wow, this is what the country needs to hear more. We need to see more people talking about those sorts of experiences that there is no one way, you know, and right. everyone's situation is unique, you know, and we're dealing with unique traumas and racism happens across the board within races amongst other people in those races it does it you know? does and that so. that that is what is really i think important to understand and what we who see that we're the ones who need to unify and unify against that you know and yes the people pushing the crt and, and these antifa people and all that crap they don't want to see that they don't want to acknowledge that they they want to keep perpetuating this narrative of victimhood and that we need to just tear down the whole system not seeing that you do that you will, you will create a power vacuum you will create chaos you will create a void we don't need to tear down the whole system there's plenty yeah. about this country that is actually really unique and quite interesting mm -hmm. amazing when you think about it and it's actually one yes. of, it's one of the least racist racist places to be you know go to china go to some other places right i'm saying go other places see what's going on in other places yeah and it's not that there is racism yeah. it's not that it's not here still it's not that these wounds aren't still open because they are you know the, the civil war was not that long ago it really wasn't that those generational traumas are real and i think when black people talk about those traumas we should listen and we we should definitely empathize but the problem is when it gets uh, overblown or taken to this degree where it's no longer productive and you're just yes. holding you're holding yourselves back and i think that's why blm received the amount of backlash it did from people like us and you know who just felt they I it wasn't people like that. well yeah people like yeah 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 it's like where we, where we were just like i don't i don't vibe with that like i understand y'all are mad and there's a lot of shit to be mad about but whatever that is i don't fucking vibe with it because it's but to me and that and don't get me wrong. Like if you if you have issues or if you already feel fear, you know, of your life and you put on a uniform, it doesn't make that fear go away. It doesn't make some of those issues you had go away. But I will say, like, I've seen police brutality across the border. Now, yes. Do black men die at a higher rate? OK, yes, they do. And I'm not like, but let me be very clear. I'm not making light of that. But I've also been in certain situations where my my husband has been profiled where you know his his whereabouts with his friends have been profiled i'm that i believe there's an issue like... as a whole with police period yeah but yes i but my what i believe is that if you already feel some type of way and you put on that uniform it doesn't make those feelings that you feel or those issues that you have had go away True. with a black person it's true you know or with a white person or with an asian person, it doesn't make that go away so if you already you know are a little bit in fear or clinch your purse when a black person walks by you're probably gonna be more yeah, you know yeah. on high alert when you put on that uniform yeah you're in a high tension situation or something like that so no i think the the bias thing is definitely real you know but mm -hmm. like you said it happens across the board uh i think uh who's who's the guy who shot uh who he was in the hotel shooting the BB gun. I forgot his name. Daniel Shaver. Daniel Shaver. So that that was an interesting case in Texas, where you know a white man got very brutally shot and killed by police. And it's like, where were the protests for that? Where was the uprising and all of that? And I think the, the thing with the police brutality issue, and I've taken this position on it pretty hard, is I think it needs to be viewed as a civil liberties issue first, and a racial one second. 
So if there's a racial issue there, you address it case by case. But across the board, when you look at the issue across the board, if police are being brutal, they're being brutal. And it doesn't matter who they're being brutal to. You should be equally mad when they're doing their job incorrectly. And you should speak out about all of the events. It's a civil and, issue, you know? Yes. And, and that now I will. I do have an issue when it comes to sentencing. I do have an issue with that because you know, when it comes to sentencing and, and and I don't even necessarily know, like now that I look more into it, my brother committed a crime um, when he was 16 years old. They waited until he was 17. First offense, never been in trouble, never even got a traffic ticket. And he was charged um, as an adult and he signed a guilty plea. He was supposed to get probation, but we really don't under like at that time now I understand it but at that time my, my family had never really been in trouble um, my dad had never really been in trouble my mother had never had issues with the police so they signed the guilty plea not knowing that hey they don't necessarily have to go with this and we did not understand mandatory minimums in Alabama um, so with a mandatory minimum he got a, man a mandatory minimum of 20 years for armed robbery nobody was hurt you know it was a setup and it went wrong. The girl ended up telling on them. And, but it was a bad, stupid decision that he made when he was 16. He served 10 years in prison. And, you know, while he was, you know, being sentenced, people that went up before him, they were, you know, different color, but it wasn't just white people, you know, and the sentences or the deals were lesser, you know? So when this young black boy goes up, you know, it was a, but I did not understand mandatory minimum. So I think when it comes to people in poverty or who don't have a lot of money, unless you can pay your way out. And at that time, my parents were still building up. You're fucked. You're going to, if you're, and I say, if you're poor, you might do some time. Yeah. You're, you're you don't have the money, you might do some time. You're also but, likely to commit crimes. That's another thing is, you know, in poverty stricken places, there is a statistical correlation between more impoverished areas and an increase in crime because there's more desperation. So Right. So I don't necessarily like back then I thought, oh, it was a black thing. It's because he's black, you know, but now like it, I think it was because we didn't have the money to pay our way out. We didn't have the knowledge and we didn't understand what a guilty plea was and we didn't yeah. understand mandatory minimums. So I think in that regard, when it comes to prison reform, prison needs to be reformed. Sentences need to be reformed. But I also do, I think it's a money thing you know not necessarily a race thing i agree i agree yeah the, the prison system is definitely like man you look at it you're like this we're basically using these people for cheap labor right now yeah and i can see the criticisms there where people kind of compare it to i guess like a modern form of slavery which slavery. you could argue it, it is and it's not just affecting people of color of course even though they make up the majority of the prison population but I don't know, it, doesn't the 13th Amendment too like allow it? It's like even worded in there. Yeah, it's worded right. so that the, they're basically like the only form of slavery that's tolerated is that that they engage in prisoners. I've seen that as a criticism of the 13th Amendment before. But most people, and if you look at most people, and that's why, you know, the prison is mostly made up of Black males is because certain people get released. But if you sign a guilty plea, you need to understand what you're signing. You are saying, I did this and the punishment is left up to you. Right. Like you're admitting guilt and that you did this. And what happens a lot of times is because you do get a public defender. You don't have the money. You don't want to go back and forth to court. You say I'm guilty and they, for lack of a better word, 
drop your ass for it. Okay. Now you're going to sit down, you know, and, but I feel it's the modern day slavery and they don't, you don't have the knowledge to know not, not to fight it out. Most people will fight it out. They will not, most people that are not of color that may have some resources or may have some knowledge will say, you know what? I'm not going to admit guilt to this. You know, I'm just going to keep fighting it. I'm not guilty. And they are better, you know, their conviction rate, you know, they might not be convicted or they might get a, um, a lower crime or, you know, a, like a lower crime or a lower time, a lower sentence. But black, um, black Americans are, are like, yeah, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. And that is why it is predominantly black men is because you continue to admit, admit guilt. It's, I don't, they don't know they have the options, I guess. Yes. It goes back to the education yeah, thing. They, don't, like, they also don't tell it like cops lie, you know, like prosecutors lie. They lie mm -hmm. frequently and easily and convincingly. And if you don't know your rights or if you don't have your, you know, easy access to a lawyer, somebody who can explain them to you, you are in deep trouble when you get involved. Yeah. Because yeah. they'll lie. Yeah. They'll tell you that, oh, just sign this and you'll be free to go. No problem. Meanwhile, you sign it, you're serving, you know, a 20 year mandatory minimum sentence. I think the prison, yeah. the prison system issue too, one thing about it is it, it creates this incentive to keep prisons full when you have like uh -huh. when prisons are being funded by the government right and the more prisoners you have like the more subsidies you get that sort of thing and you're also using them for cheap labor so when you think about it it's kind of like modern slavery um yes i'm looking at the 13th amendment here and it's like all right neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted so that means with the jury yeah. shall exist within the united states or any place subject to their jurisdiction so it, it is fascinating how they they put that exception in there and it's basically admitting right in the 13th amendment that the punishment for certain crimes can in fact be slavery or involuntary servitude yes and most people um don't understand that I'm trying to say how to, most people don't understand that um i'm so sorry i lost my train of, train of thought oh so most people don't understand that like right now our um our, my, my children there are there are prisons being built for them right now for when they get 18 but a prison like for a prison to be built you are they pretty much make a deal saying are you going to be able to keep this prison full yes. are you going to send people to jail they're not building a prison and not having a deal. So the deal is, if people get in trouble, you're going to send them to prison, right? Because why, why else would why are we building this prison? So they agree. When you see a prison being built near you or around you, let it be known that your state, you know, agreed to fill it up. Yeah. So there, there's an interesting conspiracy theory that I stumbled upon over the internet many years ago. I need to dig this up and try to find it, but it was a letter, an anonymous letter that was posted on the internet. Um, man, I wish I well, could find it. I'm not even gonna dig for it right now, but the point is the conspiracy theory, and according to the guy writing the letter, he claims he was present at a meeting between, in the 90s, early 90s, at a meeting between very big record executives and music moguls and uh, people who had the prison system. And that there was a deal struck between them where the people running the prison system were given option to buy stocks within the 
music industry and that the music industry would help promote gangster rap as a way to incentivize oh, yes. or popularize crime and to make it kind of yes. glamorize it almost to yes. to make it more likely that they the, the prisons will be able to have been filled and therefore mm -hmm. increasing the subsidies they get from the government which increases the amount of money that ends up going to the record executives who go into business with them i don't know if it's real but it's very that, real. When I read that, when I read that letter, the guy sounded serious when I read that letter. And you read it and you think about it, you're like, damn, this is some evil shit. This is like some like movie type of shit where you're like, yes. you're like, how do we keep our prisons full? Hmm. Let's get together with the music industry and promote this, and they, and this style of rap music that promotes crime and glamorizes it. It's like, hmm. And and that's one reason, like when it comes to certain songs and certain music, my kids cannot listen to like Cardi B. I love some of her songs. You know what I'm saying? When I'm feeling that way, but she's a curse word in my house. Yeah. My kids can't <laughs> play her. Okay. She's a curse word in my house. Cardi B, uh-uh, curse word. Because if, if, if a child, first of all, if you understand how the subconscious mind works, you ever said, I don't even like this song and you start singing it because you've heard that song over yes. and over. So when it comes on, you're like, oh, I don't like it. But then it's you just all, like, all the time. you're singing it. It's your subconscious mind. If you're constantly saying, I'm going to shoot you up and I'm going to punch you in your face and yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. I'm hard as hell. Next thing you know, when somebody pisses you off, you're going to go to, what was that song saying? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a blah, blah, blah. I'm going to beat your ass. You can't touch me. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, for real. Like, so, yeah. so you have to be careful what you allow your kids to listen to or even what you listen to. Because... Because I wake my kids up and, with gospel music, you know, with Christian rock, you know, like <laughs> this is how our day is going to go today. Yeah. Um, I make sure, you know, and it's because I don't want them to, when they feel a certain type of way, revert back to a song that they heard and make a bad decision based on emotions. And yeah. that song has influenced them. It's like their impressions. I think Gurdjieff used that term, mm -hmm. right? Called them impressions. But impressions. Like, like think about like the media and stuff we consume, almost like a sort of type of food. And mm -hmm. you know, you're if you're feeding yourself crappy media food, like you're just watching dumbass movies all the time. Like, it's, and I'm not saying you shouldn't indulge once in a while. Like, yeah, once in a while, eat some Cheetos, right? Like, once in a while, yeah. don't like not all the time. It's the same with mm -hmm. our media. Like, yeah, if you want to bump Cardi B, you know, time and place, obviously. Certain things aren't for kids, obviously. Right. And you got to look at it as like part of your health regimen almost. But it's like part of your mental health or like your yes. spiritual health regimen. And like I said, indulge once in a while. There's nothing wrong with that. Like you're smoking a yes. cigarette right now, right now. I smoke cigarettes, you know, here and there. We were smoking on the show. But see, that's, look, I don't know if you noticed. I try you to know, hide it too much. Because you know, we because it's, it's my, it's, it's what I, I smoke, yeah. but I don't want to promote anybody to smoke, yeah. if that makes sense, you know, like, but some people, and not some, I ain't going to be kind like that. Most people are easily influenced. They are easily yeah. influenced. They are easily manipulated. Yes. I cannot think of it, but there was a um, experiment done and a man came in and he sat down with some students and he like knew the correct answer but everybody starts saying the answer b and then he was like dang like i'm looking at it i know this answer is right but clearly i must be wrong and at first he was answering you know correctly and then at the more that the experiment kept going along he was like yeah i choose b b knowing it's wrong i've heard about the experiment i don't know yeah. that it's not right 
Put that in the context of COVID. Put that in the context of COVID and like the new normal and all this bullshit. And it really puts it into perspective. I literally just came across a person three days ago and we were talking about COVID and he had got it. And he said, you are the first person that hasn't looked at me like a leper. When I, like, I, like you know, wow. like when I tell people I have COVID, they instantly start distancing themselves. Wow. They instantly start giving me ugly looks. Like I'm going to pass it to them when I'm already over it. I'm just telling you I had it. Wow. And it's like, they're he's instantly treated differently. And he was like, I never understood. He was an older white male. I never understood how people, you know, could feel so, so distance or you know like they're they're not allowed to be here until he started telling how he caught COVID and he was fine it was like a common cold or you know he's had worse uh, flu strains or a sinus infection but the way people looked at him was just like unbelievable yeah that's the and the way that they distanced themselves from him that's the media it's like it's like they've done to people they've poisoned their minds with this propaganda and like they're quite literally getting us to like dehumanize each other it's brad and i we were around a couple people who were positive and had it at some point or whatever and like we hung out with them (laughs) you know we sat Mm -hmm. next to them we we hugged them like yes and treat them like they were any different and we know our own health and our own bodies we know that we were around and exposed and we never got sick and we're fine maybe we did get sick passed through us who knows the point is we trust our own immune systems enough that we're not going to uh-huh. be scared if we do like say encounter someone who had the virus it's like whatever right like, so this isn't airborne ebola yeah, it's just it not like, airborne ebola not. like <laughs> i don't know how you have to emphasize I that know, but man. it's like a minor respiratory illness that like 99 point some percentage of everybody who's under the age of 69 survives like it's it's only right. once you get above i think 70 70 years that it starts to be like, it's like 5% of the people that get it, uh, you know, have a, have a serious problem or end up passing away. But at that point, it's like, you know, how many people above 70, 80, you know, they pass away of everything all yeah. the time. Like that's, that's, that's when you die. The problem <laughs> is you're looking at it in this more positive light and the media does not want us looking at it in a positive light. You have to emphasize the cases, emphasize the deaths, always make it seem, oh my God, it's so horrible. That but, aren't even accurate, clearly. Yeah. Yeah, they're probably afraid it too. That's another thing. But when you flip it the way Brent did, when you flip it the way Brent did and you start viewing it in a positive light, well, actually, guys, like not that many people are really dying from this. And yeah, people yeah. are getting sick, but most of them are okay. It's like, oh, no, you're downplaying. And it's like, you're not allowed to even be positive. Like good news is like frowned upon by these people. <laughs> it's weird. Yes. Just like literally, I just debunked. Um, they were like Alabama state officials, emer- uh, emergency rooms and hospitals are packed. I had to go to the emergency room recently um, and oh, I literally was walking. I literally was like, you know what? I'll be right back. I'm going to go do some scouting, see what's going on. Cause the emergency <laughs> room was empty. I literally uh, went from cool. like the first floor, the second floor, the third floor. And I was like, these rooms are empty. <laughs> literally about probably about an hour and like 45 minutes I will not post what I how I acted because I kind of did show my whole ass but literally (laughs) about an hour and 30 minutes into it I was asked to leave and I felt some kind of way because why are you asking me to leave and my loved one is here not even related to COVID I don't care about the risk I'll take the risk and you're going to tell me that I have to leave why what are you trying to do? Because he doesn't have COVID. Are you trying to say he has COVID? Are you trying to take advantage of these people? What is really the motive? Because your hospital is empty. 
Yeah. Well, it's funny. Why? We did a we did a little hospital when we were in New York. We were going around to check out the hospitals to see what was going on. And I lived like two blocks from a hospital at the time. So we just took a little walk and we went up there and we like did a little video. And you know, again, this was like right in the in the midst of it. And there, okay. yeah, there wasn't. It was that there was they they had like a truck outside for the bodies because in New York they had made it so that you could not process the bodies in the normal way. You couldn't just send them to the funeral home. Yeah, they quarantined the bodies. They quarantined the bodies. Yeah. So if you died of COVID, you could not like so they were putting them in these like refrigerators trucks outside but that was the only sign that there was something weird happening you know we walked around the whole place it was like they had like little tents outside i guess for like the testing area but if you mm-hmm. look inside the hospital it's not like there was a you know, hundreds of people everywhere coughing all over you know it just wasn't like that it was pretty empty it was pretty quiet and mm-hmm. it just it strikes me that they they keep trying to you know bring this whole like meme back of the hospitals being overloaded of the hospitals being stressed meanwhile they forget that like that happens normally yeah. twice a year like the hospitals do get a little stressed in like the flu season you know flu comes twice a year just like covid in the you know in the in the winter and then in the late summer and you know, the hospitals get a little stressed and that's like a normal thing. Now, what really strikes me is that in, especially in places where they're really pushing the mandates, they're going to fire that's a whole bunch of nurses. Say. and doctors. Right. Now that mm-hmm. will stress the hospital because they're going like, to be understaffed. Wait, we're in the middle of a, of a pandemic and we're, we should need all hands on deck. It's right? like, which is right. It? Right. And, and you're going to fire all of these people just because they don't want to subject themselves to like an experimental treatment right now that they don't feel comfortable or maybe they just don't want it. Who cares? The right. point is they were working this entire time through this whole bullshit and they've been fine this whole time. They're still fine. So now yes. making videos on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> but my point is like, instead of just being like, well, hey, they survived this entire time and and I mean, regarding the ones without the shot who've been working right. this whole time, like they made it this whole time. Clearly they're fine and the vi- they're okay with the virus. Let them just keep working, right? Because we need all hands on deck. We got to deal with this overflow. Like, no, you're going to fire them? It's fishy, man. Something about this is so fishy. It's fishy as hell. It stinks to sense. high heaven. No, I'm going to tell you guys what's fishy. Let me tell you guys what's fishy. And it just happened in the past month. The last Monday, my... um. My uncle-in-law passed away. He was completely anti-vax. He um, wasn't feeling well, um, ended up going to the hospital, um, and ended up on a ventilator. How he ended up on a ventilator, we're still trying to figure that out and get all that information, but he died on Monday. Um, My grandfather, my step-grandfather, but my grandfather, he raised me all my life. Um, So he married my grandmother when I was, before I was born. So he's my grandfather, passed away literally was on the phone with my grandmother and said, hey, can you please get a nurse in here? They put something in my IV. I feel weird. Something is going on. I keep pressing my nurse's button. Nobody is coming. My grandmother clicked over, called, called, because she was in Alabama. He was in Virginia. Called the hospital and literally was put on hold. She kept clicking back over, clicking back over. My grandfather became unresponsive. Two hours later, we got a call saying he died. Fuck. So what happened? Because we were literally on the phone with, like, my grandmother was literally on the phone with him. He literally said, hey, 
they gave me something. I have not felt right since. Something is wrong. Get somebody in here. I'm pressing the nurse's button. Like, help me. Like, help. And she she literally was stuck on hold. Nobody ever picked up. Two hours later, got a call back that he was no longer here and she needed to get down there and that and he was became unresponsive on the phone with her wow but you're but you're set you're helping people but, but you're firing nurses so my thing is what's really going on you guys created this to depopulate you guys created this because you could have never made free people take a vaccine do a vaccine passport which is a which is really what what the end game is and you want to control everything in or out but in the midst of all of this you are killing people seems that way up definitely seems that way i you know i think the lockdowns were definitely intended to do that the virus right and then Mm -hmm. well the shots don't seem to be helping and we'll just we'll just leave it there right in regards to that (laughs) they definitely don't seem to be helping um and that's why i acted a complete fool when they told me to leave I acted a complete fool because so you're like, not you going to, to hurt him. You're not going to harm him. You're not going to put something in his IV. Right. You're not going to say that something's wrong with him. So which way do y'all want to go about this? Because I will, I will sit here in the emergency room and check myself in and say something's wrong with me. I have a headache. What you want to do? <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, the ventilator thing was something I wanted to touch on, which I guess maybe Brent might be able to talk about a little bit more, but didn't they find that the ventilators were actually kind of like making certain cases worse? And I know some nurses were saying that the ventilators maybe even like killed certain It was a very high percentage of people that were put on ventilators ended up passing away. So the, the question became very quickly, is this an intervention that we want to continue? Because if you're doing an intervention ostensibly to save people's lives, and then 90 plus percent of them are passing away, clearly your intervention is not working. Um, right. So it be, and then there's a lot of reasons, there's a lot of complications too with the respirator is they have to often sedate you, which depresses your immune response, okay. which is going to make any sort of viral or bacterial infection worse. Maybe they sedated him and tried to put him on a ventilator. Well, it's, it's possible they gave him, well, who knows what they gave him, right? Because right. You, you don't know. And that's right. like, how can, you know, there can be a situation where you can get a medication at a hospital that, you know, was not clearly, they didn't give him informed consent. They're not like, oh, you know, we're going to give this to you for this reason. You know, they give him something. And then two hours later, he passes away. Yes. How can you not draw the conclusion that maybe what you gave the guy contributed to his death or caused it? Like, right. Or at least ask the question, you know? Well, it, it seems to me that that would be the starting point. Yes. And that you would have to disprove that down the line and be like, oh, no, it was this. It was that. But both, but both, but both for my grandfather and for my and for my uncle, cardiac arrest. That's crazy. Did they get the shot? No. OK. No. And they were completely like. Like anti-vax. Mm-hmm. So it, it just baffles me for me for you to give somebody something and, and the way that they were for them to be like, oh, yeah, of course, that that sounds good. It, it's like if you knew them, something didn't add up, you know, like something wasn't right in those in those scenarios. And I'm talking about, yes, they were older, but perfectly healthy. Right. And you want to know what their deaths are? Cardiac arrest. Um, 
related to, to related to COVID, right? Via COVID or related to COVID, something like that. Something about COVID. Wow. COVID. Yeah. But they, but, but who said they didn't, die, did they die of COVID? Because why, do, why doesn't anybody else in our family have it? Like I, my grandfather, he wasn't here, but we were, were around my uncle. My uncle wasn't around anybody who, you know, had COVID. So even if it was COVID related, why was a, a family member not no, not notified before he was put on a ventilator? Yeah, yeah precisely. Why was he put on a ventilator a day um, went by before the family even knew he was on a ventilator? Yeah. Well, and medical malpractice was the third leading cause of death, possibly even more Could be uh, before COVID. So if you were talking about something that's resulting in the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people, and lo and behold, now they're saying COVID is responsible for deaths of hundreds of thousands of people. And a lot of that, they can't, they, they get the responsibility doesn't get put on the, the doctors, the hospitals, the practitioners. Also, it's, the flu vanished somehow. Yes, the flu. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I got no flu, no medical malpractice, right? It's all COVID. Right. I got sick a couple of weeks ago and I was like, yes, y'all, do you guys hear me? <laughs> I'm sick, but I really was sick. And I was like, but I don't know if I have COVID, but I know that I'm sick because other things still exist. I probably just have my yearly common cold, but I don't need a vaccine. I'm just fine. I'm, I'm breathing fine. You know, everything's great, but I'm sick. Y'all know other things exist, right? Besides, are you, COVID. Trying, to, are you trying to say you have an immune system, Alexia? That's <laughs> yeah, I know. And it works. That shit Can you believe that? Stop lying. You lying. You believe it, it works. That's gonna make a great. Who would have ever thought? Oh man! All right, I guess we'll uh, we'll wrap it up here. We've been talking for a while. It's been a really. I know, discussion. right? You guys are so easy to talk to. Like, I, I was you a, guys are awesome. I Thank you so much friend. for having me on. No, we have to have you come back too. We'd like to have you come back because it's just we like to have everybody come back. I was looking eventually. forward to this. I knew I would vibe with you. I'm like, I'm gonna vibe with her so well. Yes, it was I awesome. Y'all are awesome. We're trying to, you know, find our regulars and our rotating cast of interesting people to talk to and. And we want to find those those brave voices who are willing to be individuals who are willing to stand out right now, who are willing to speak, right? Even at risk to their jobs or their reputations and all that stuff. So I commend people like you. Like, I think it's important what you're doing. And, you know, some might downplay it or view it as trivial. That's just not trivial to me, man. Like to, to do what you did, to speak openly and candidly, to risk your livelihood, to, to change your yes. whole life. To have to change your whole life to stand for the truth, right? It's mm -hmm. that's a big fucking deal. So a lot awesome. of times love you. we see people say stuff and like you know, oh, I can't speak out because yeah. of my kids, or I can't because of my kids, yep. my kids. You've got kids. You're speaking, right. doing it anyway. No yes. problem. And I think it's because you you seem to realize that despite the I guess short term consequences of what you're doing and how that might affect your ability to like raise your kids. Mm -hmm. You realize that the, the danger is far greater to allow this to continue the way it's continued. Yes. And what's going to yes. happen to your kids and what world are they going to inherit if we yes. don't stand up to this now and maybe take some risks and make a few sacrifices to do that, you know? Right. And I was like, hey, being me is worth the risk because I went through so much of my life not being me, you know, hiding that I was like, look, and I said it. I don't care if y'all don't like me, but I'm going to say what, wants, what needs to be said. So mm -hmm. I said it and I'll stand on it and hell, I'll say it again.
It's still <laughs> next. So, next. Next, yo. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Thank you. I one of my favorite. You. One of my favorite episodes, I would say, and I think we really oh, delved deep.